So you guys, last week, uh, Chad did an awesome job covering chapter 19 of Exodus. And so we talked about a lot of different things. And chapter 19 is a pretty important chapter in Exodus. And we could all say that every chapter is important in the entire Bible, right? All 66 books. I don't know that there's an unimportant chapter. But chapter 19 gives us a lot of amazing things. It gives us the Mosaic Covenant. It's a pretty awesome uh, picture of things. That's in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 19. We learn about the fact that the people of Israel now, man, they've walked through the Red Sea already. They did all this crazy leaving of Egypt, and they did all this stuff. They crossed the Red Sea. Now they're, they're sitting here at the base of Mount Sinai, and we know that they end up, they're going to be there for an entire year. And Chad talked a lot about the fact that this wasn't like the Ritz-Carlton. You know, this wasn't you know, the getaway down in Jamaica that, that you go to, the all-inclusive resort. No, this is like a desolate desert area. This is not a cool place to just stop and hang out for a year. But we read, man, there's this important covenant that God enters into with Moses and the people of Israel. We'll just read that real quick. Verse 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And then Moses came and starts talking. And we saw Moses, man, he went up and he had this chat with God, and God gave Moses some preparatory rules before they kind of began the process through uh, of entering into this time where they're going to go, where they're going to hear from the Lord, essentially. And that's what we're going to read tonight. And if you guys remember that, they were told, you know, like, man, don't, don't have relations with your spouse. Sounds a little weird, but basically don't defile yourself in any way. Set yourself apart in every possible way. Even married couples, set yourself apart. Just avoid it for three days, right? Cleanse yourself. Spend some time preparing your heart. Why? You guys, why was God doing that? Because he was trying to say, like, I'm holy, y'all. I am holy. I am righteousness incarnate. Like, that's me. And you're going to hear from me. And so I want you to prepare yourselves. He wasn't expecting perfection. God's not expecting something that he knows we can't give him. But he was expecting a level of like recognition of who he is, right? A recognition that he is other than us. And so he was asking them to do all these things. And he even goes in and says, man, like, build a boundary around the mountain base, right? Like, don't, nobody's allowed to touch the base of the mountain. Like, don't even come, just stay away from it, right? Because why? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch down there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and I'm going to meet you on this mountain. And like, you're, don't, don't do it. And he says, man, if somebody does it, like, kill them. It sounds harsh, but again, what's the point? It's God's way of telling his people I am other than, and, and we are on different playing fields. I'm your God. You are not God, <laughs> right? So today we're going to be starting to dig into these 10 commandments that God gave to the people of Israel, and we're going to be looking. I was, I was hoping to dig through the first four tonight, but as I continued to study as, it, as typically it goes, I got through two and had more pages than we might be able to get through tonight. So we might get through two tonight. And these all deal with these first four that we're going to be looking at through this time, 
the first four commandments, you guys, they all deal with how we are to interact with God, right? And the last six, five through 10, deal with how we are to interact one with another, which is kind of interesting because what did Jesus say? That all of the laws, all everything hangs on these two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first four, the last six. You get it? They're all wrapped up into this. And so tonight, we're going to start kind of looking through these first two commandments, hopefully. And so let's, let's get going, you guys. It's all right. I got the time. Let's do it. Verse 1, chapter 20, it says this. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And I want to stop there for a second. Listen, I don't want to overlook these first couple verses. How many of you guys know that God's actually the one that spoke the Ten Commandments out the first time? Did you know that? So I freely admit, listen, I've gone to college for this. <laughs> I've like studied this extensively. I have no idea why, but it was this first time reading through that I'm like, wait, hold on. That wasn't Moses talking. No, that was God. God actually said this. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? I don't want to overlook that stuff. This was directly from God's mouth. Listen, you don't get more authoritative than from the mouth of God. You don't get more authoritative than that. This wasn't one kid telling another kid what dad said, right? This was dad talking. Secondly, you guys, we see something amazing here. Remember, we looked last week and Chad did an awesome job of pointing out the fact that did God have to make a covenant with Moses and with the people of Israel? No, God could literally say to us, you will do this or you go to hell. He has every right because he's God and we're not to do that. So we see the love and the mercy and the grace of God in making a covenant and saying, look, yeah, I, I get it. You guys, you don't got it all figured out. You're going to screw this up. But I love you enough anyway that I'm going to say, hey, man, let's reason together. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's, let's, let's get together. And we talked last week, what was the point of the Mosaic covenant? Not for them to live a perfect life. No, for them to see in the mirror that they're screwed up, that they got some zits on their face, that they're messed up human beings. That was the point of the law. That's the point of these 10 commandments. You will not keep all 10 of these perfectly. You can't. If you think you do, you're full of pride, you sinner. <laughs> right? We're all screwed up. We do it wrong very often. But we see something amazing here. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Did he have to do that? No. He could have been like, yo, y'all, you know, you, you got there, man. Joseph got you there, and somehow you just stuck around, and you stuck around a little too long, and now you're stuck in this situation. He could have done anything he wanted to, but he loved these people. He kept his promise to Abraham, and he said, man, they're not gonna, they're gonna go that way. Do you guys know that he told Abraham that? That for a while, they're gonna be in a place they don't wanna be in, and that I'm gonna bring them out from there too. So God keeps his promises. He's faithful. Amen. And so God entered into this loving relationship with them, and I need you to hear this. We have not started the Ten Commandments yet. Hear that. We have not read one of the commandments yet. And he's already saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land, out of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. 
You guys, he's the master. He is the one who is their God. Unlike the Egyptians and other pagan cultures, they were under a loving and merciful God who rescued them and kept revealing himself on the whole trip so far, hasn't he? We have the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In the middle of the desert at the in night, if you guys have ever been, listen, in the military, we spend a lot, you Navy guys, you're probably out in the ocean all the time, huh? No, okay. <laughs> CVs, okay, fair enough. Then you were right with us. In the middle of the desert, y'all, it's cold at night. In the middle of the desert, it's wicked hot in the day. That cloud, listen, you find any shade you can in the day. And at night, it's freezing. A pillar of fire would have kept you nice and toasty. God didn't just use it for those reasons. He also gave them the benefit of like, I'm telling you where to go because if you're outside of that, you're either going to be hot or cold depending on what time of day it is. So stay warm or stay cool depending, but stay comfortable with me. You'll be uncomfortable when you're away from me. He was guiding and directing them supernaturally. Even though I just want us to hear this, you guys, did it make a lot of sense and was it the easiest path? No. You guys have seen the map a hundred times. They went down into an area that that's why the, the, the Pharaoh was like, dude, I got them right where I want them. They're stuck because they went down into this like peninsula. It was the stupidest move they could have made. From a military perspective, you're stuck. And God was like, yeah, I'm taking you there. Why? Because I'm going to show you my power. And so they walked across the Red Sea on dry land and watched them, it closed back on the Egyptians. Again, God has shown himself faithful and loving and gracious and powerful and merciful to them this whole time, you guys. And they don't know the rules yet. It's important we get ahead, our heads around that, you guys. It's a great reminder Jesus didn't die for this world because some people were going to be good enough to finally make it. He didn't die for any of us, you guys, because he knew that we were not going to be complete heathens. No, you guys. He died for the entire world because it's a free gift. And he he died for us knowing how screwed up we were going to be. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. And I I think this is just a testimony to who God is. And it gives me a cleaner and clearer picture of why Jesus did what he did, because this is exactly what he would have done. That's exactly what God would do for us. Love us enough to rescue us before he even gave us a reason to follow him necessarily. Does that make sense? Before he gave us the rules of what this is supposed to look like. It's beautiful. It's never been and never will be about how good or bad we are before we come to Christ. It will never be something you earn. It doesn't matter how much work you put towards it. You're never going to have enough works on your end that you don't need Jesus anymore, right? No, man, it's yours to receive by faith. You grab hold of it and you say, I'm receiving that. I receive, God, that you came in the form of a human and died and rose again for me. Me. Stupid, sinful, jerk face me. That's awesome. Verse three. Here's the first commandment. You ready? You shall have no other gods before me. I want you all to notice it's a lowercase g there, right? 
This is the first commandment God gives, and I think it's important that we notice this, and we've been kind of talking about this. What were the people of Israel prior to this moment, prior to like understanding who their God was through Moses, right? Like Abraham got a hold of this idea of, of monotheism, of there's one God, there's not many gods. But, and, and I think that you know we, we see that Joseph knew God, that they knew God. So they had some knowledge of who God was, but we see so often that these people of Israel would keep going back to this more polytheistic idea of like, oh, well, he's one of a couple gods. He's one of many gods, right? Like we can kind of serve a bunch of different gods. And in Egypt, for these hundreds and hundreds of years, I promise you, they have been kind of got back to that place where they're like, well, there's Ra and there's, you know, uh, all these different gods that we looked at that each one of the the things that happened to them while they were in Egypt, each one of the plagues, each one of the things kind of spoke against a specific Egyptian God to kind of show the people of Israel and hopefully some of the Egyptians, your gods are crap. Your gods are not real gods, right? But the fact is, you guys, this is the first commandment he gives. And I think it's important. It's important for all of us, but it was specifically important to them because they were just coming out of this pagan polytheistic culture. And he's pointing it out like, man, look, their gods did not help them when they were going across the Red Sea. Their gods did not do anything for them to hold back all of the things that I poured out in Egypt. Guys, there's only one God that exists. And I need us to hear this. It is completely an illogical thought to believe that there is more than one God more than one eternal, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. Think about that. It's, it's a complete impossibility, isn't it? It's impossible to have two of the same, of two gods. Sincerely, think about this. If you're sovereign, do you know what sovereignty is? It means you possess the right and the power to accomplish your will. If there are two sovereign gods, they... They can't ever disagree because if they did, then the world would cease to exist probably because how, how can that work? That's just one thing. What about all knowing? You're in complete possession of all the knowledge that exists. There can't be more than one person that knows absolutely everything. What about all powerful? You're in complete possession of all the power that exists. You're omnipotent. If there are two all-powerful beings, do you understand how that is completely an illogical thought? What about all-present? This one actually blows my mind the most. You guys understand that omnipresent doesn't just mean that, he, that God is present in every moment of every, or in every, every place at the same time. It actually means that he's present in every place all the time, forever. Think about that. God at this moment, we look at time linear. God, he's still there with George Washington. He's still there signing the Declaration of Independence. And guess where else he is? He's in heaven with all of us. And he's right here. And he's in Africa and Kenya with our friends in Kenya. He's everywhere all at the same time, all the time. Do you understand how that is physically illogical. It's, it doesn't make any sense to think that there's more than one God. It can't, it's not possible. See, this is why I don't do apologetics because that either made sense to y'all or I completely was just like talking nonsense to y'all. <laughs> Chad does a better job. 
What is God saying here? You shall have no other gods before me. God is commanding us to always remember that he is God. He's not saying like, look, man, out of all the gods you could choose from, choose me. No, he's saying, look, there are no other gods. I'm it. You might want to put some gods up in front of me, but they're not real gods. They're not, they're not going to do anything for you. They're not in possession of any power. They're not real. There's no other God that gets to have input in your life, is what he's saying. Now, I need you to hear this. You guys, we all have to choose, don't, don't we? They had to choose. And we're going to see not too long after this, they chose poorly, Right? Aaron's going to be like, I don't know, man. The gold just went in and out popped this crazy calf. I don't have a clue. Right? It's, <laughs> oh, Aaron. Like, man up and own it, dude. <laughs> at, least, at least own it. But yeah, too often in this world, you guys, we have all these other religions. So we could choose any one of these other religions. But do you know what the biggest religion on all the world is and always, I think, will be and, and always has been? The religion of self. That's the biggest religion. More than all the other religions combined, the religion of self reigns supreme. Right? This idea that we think that our way is the best way, that our way is the right way, that what we think is absolutely has to be gospel truth, that what we do and how we act, well, that's the way it is. What we say to other people, what we do, I mean, think about it, you guys. Am I wrong? God's saying here, man, we don't get to add God to our lives. We don't get to add him. We don't get to say, well, God, I mean, yeah, it's all good. But like, I mean, if I want to go and do this thing and your word kind of makes it clear that I shouldn't, well, like if I want to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. But I'll still be there on Sunday. That's not what, no. He's saying, you shall put no other God. You shall have no other God before me. We give God all of our lives. He's the Lord of our life. He gets to tell us. He gets to boss us around and tell us what's up. And because he's such a gracious, loving God, you guys, he gave us 66 books to hang on to, the Holy Bible to read and understand them. And on top of that, you guys, he sent his Holy Spirit down to, to guide and direct us, just like we talked about on Sunday, right? Those, those areas that maybe aren't explicitly spelled out in Scripture that Paul talks all about. And he's saying, man, like, dude, don't beat each other up over that. Seek the Lord on that and walk out what God's telling you and, and walk that out. And that's what he's saying here, man. Don't put other gods before me. Let's keep reading. Verse four through six, it says this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the second commandment, you guys. God, he takes this whole idea of being the one and only God and being the one that's in charge and wants to be over us in, his, in our lives. And he takes it one step further because a lot of these little G gods were these carved images at the time, right? They were like, I mean, you guys know about Dagon, right? Dag, that Dagon, Dagon. 
the fish god, right, that just kept falling over every time the ark was in front of it, right, bowing down. They're like, hey, prop up our god. He sucks. He keeps falling over. (laughs) Not much of a god. He says, man, we're not allowed to make a carved image and bow down and worship to it. He makes it clear that, guys, worshiping things that are seen or even things that are created is prohibited. And they need us to think about this. How did God show up? Do you remember? Let's flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, right? This is Deuteronomy, you guys. If you guys don't know this, in the Hebrew, what that's saying is a second telling of the law, right? It's like the second time Moses is going through it. He's kind of like, like, yo, if you guys forgot, let me tell you again, <laughs> right? If you need to hear it again. And so he's going through and he's telling them and he's kind of giving the history again of like, man, remember back, you know, back at Mount Sinai, what it was like, like how it went down. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 7, he's reminding the people of Israel and he says this. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Verse 11 says, then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And hear this, verse 12, and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. We know from scripture, right? Moses at one point here in the future of what, where we're at in scripture right now, he's going to say like, God, I want to see you, man. And he's like, you can't see me. Like, I'll show you my butt, basically. I'll show you my backside. But like, if you see me face to face, you're going to just evaporate, right? Like, I'm just exaggerating. I don't know what he said to him exactly. But he said, basically, like, you can't do that, right? You, you can't endure that in this form, in your sinful state. But the truth is, you guys, there's really a sense here. There's something special about the faith that it requires to follow our God. He's not something that we can carve out and put somewhere. He's not this person, necessarily, that we can just get our head around or get our hands around and understand. And yes, Jesus came, and he's the cleanest and clearest picture we have of who God is, but he's not the, like, he is God, and there's three in one, but like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, we don't, you cannot get your head or your hands completely around God. And I'm glad for that, because if God could easily be picked up and moved, then he's not much of a God, is he? And if I have to make my God, well, then he really stinks because I'm not that good of a carver. He'd look whack. He'd be crazy looking. Guys, there's something special about the faith that we must have. And just like we talked about during the announcements, we're not walking in blind faith. No, there's a sense, though, of this otherness of God that we come to know through his word, 
through time with one another. There's a way that the Lord works through Bible study and different things where, isn't there, where you gain and glean and grow and you're like, man, God is, wow, he's way cool. And you hear somebody else that God has spoken to about a certain situation and you're like, oh man, I never really saw God from quite that angle. And so you grow in, in who God is and you kind of start to get your hands or get your head around him a little bit, and we spend our entire lives doing that. And I personally believe we're going to spend all of eternity doing that on a level. I think in our new form, our brain is going to take a massive leap forward, but I don't know that we'll ever fully have our head around who God is. I think that's beautiful. I'm kind of stoked about that. I think we're going to look at Jesus, though, and we're going to be like, that's you. I love you. I've been waiting to meet you face to face. But you guys, how do, we, how do we come to know God? Through faith. Through faith. I love that what we see here is the same that we all see. Flip over with me to the book of John. Jesus himself actually talks about this stuff. Right? You guys remember this story, man. John chapter 20. I love this story, and I, I think it's cool because, you know, the disciples, we all know Peter, man, Peter, the screw-up Peter, the guy that is like, I'm, I'm, dude, Peter, I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible because I'm, I'm a lot like Peter. So I, I'm super glad Peter's there, but you know what? There's maybe some people here today or, or people, man, look, some people, they have the gift of faith, don't they? There's just something about it that they're, I was talking to somebody, we were talking to somebody recently, we had dinner with somebody, and they're like, man, I just, I just don't, I don't have any doubts about it. Like, I really feel like God's gifted me with faith. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I've met some Thomases that are like, oh, man, I really struggle. Like, I believe it, I've accepted it, and I, I get it, but man, I really wish God would show me more or whatever. And so let's read here, John chapter 20, verse 26. This is this moment when, you know, Thomas is there, and, and verse 26 says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. If the doors are all shut up and somebody just goes like, boink, it pops up to me. If I were Thomas, I'd be like, good enough. We're good, man. <laughs> right? Verse 27 says, then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, because he's like, yeah, that's you. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You guys, that's us. That's us. Can I tell you something? That's the people of Israel back in Exodus too, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. They had one little extra thing. In a way, they heard the audible voice of God. But can I tell you something? We have the voice of God right here too, written down for us, to us. It's a little different. We have to read it with our eyeballs. But spiritually, it's the same. It's God speaking to us through his word. And so, yeah, there's this sense of like, man, God, thank you that we don't need to make a God for ourselves, that you are bigger than that. And God, thank you that you don't just show up and show us who you are in every moment that we could like grab hold of you, right? Even Jesus, right? Remember whenever they were like, hey, we want to set you up as the king. And and the way it reads in the Greek is kind of interesting because they're pushing him back towards this cliff and all of a sudden it says he kind of just went through the midst of them. Some scholars believe that he kind of just like became ethereal and like was like, 
just walked right through them, <laughs> like disappeared almost. And I don't know if that's what happened. Who knows? We'll find out when we get there. But some people were like, what did he do? Did he just like, you know, take a different form and like just walk right through the people? And they're like, what happened? <laughs> the first row gets pushed off the cliff. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Sorry. What does it look like to make and worship idols like today? What does that look like for you guys? This is where I kind of want to spend the rest of the day, the rest of the evening. Here's the deal. There are certain organizationals like the sects of Christianity that still do worship idols. The two that really come to mind are the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholics set up a lot of like, uh, different images, different traditional like kind of images, you know that that will that that they put up and they they pray to these saints or they pray to the Virgin Mary. And listen, I, I'm not going too far down that rabbit hole. I know I've definitely talked to some Roman Catholics that I would even say they're almost worshiping that saint. That's terrifying. The the Greek Orthodox for sure. I think they're a little messed up in the way they look at things because they set these pictures up and then they go and they pray to that picture. And man, God's made it abundantly clear. We have no intermediary. There's nothing that's in the way. Jesus is our intermediary. And we pray directly to God the Father in whose name? Jesus's name. Why? That's not just a tagline at the end of a prayer. No, that's saying like, Jesus, I trust you. Like, take all this before the Lord. And Lord, God the Father, I know you've already heard it because I have the blood of Christ in my life. And so it's already been heard. So we don't need all those extra things. So I would say that, yeah, there are certain traditions within you know, Christianity that I would say, man, they, they push the line on this a little bit to me. We're not going to ever be putting up different things. We did a Stations of the Cross uh, thing on, on Good Friday one time, and, and even that, we did a very Protestant-based, <laughs> spiritual base because the station, there's beauty in all those things. So I don't want to minimize the beauty. I mean, if you've ever been to a Catholic church, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful church. I'm not trying to minimize all that. I'm saying we need to be careful with what we're doing with those things, right? We don't worship the beautiful thing. We worship God. But before we get too hard, as I always like to say, before we kind of start dogging out our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters and being like, oh, you guys, you suck, you missed it. Man, can I just say, listen, there's plenty of idol worshipers within the Protestant church. Tons. There's probably some idol worshipers in this room right now. Because we have a lot of idols that we put before God, aren't there? If there's, listen, what is an idol? An idol is anything that you put in the place of where God is supposed to reside. So here in America, man, there's lots of times where you'll see Christians putting money in the place of God. Whatever that is, either I have a lot of it and I don't want to get rid of any of it, or I don't have any and I need more, <laughs> or whatever that looks like. Our time, our energy, anything that we're putting before the Lord that's worthy of the sacrifice of those things, our money, our time, and our energy, you guys, it's probably most likely or could be an idol. Now, hear me on this. It doesn't mean it's automatically an idol. How do you... How do we come to that conclusion? Well, I'll tell you how we don't come to it. We don't come to it by Pastor Jeremy telling you that it is or isn't. I have no idea what's an idol in your heart. I know who does, though, the Holy Spirit. 
So how do you figure it out? You pray. You seek the Lord. Nobody can tell you. Now, if you have a trusted brother or a sister, sometimes God uses those people to maybe speak into your life and be like, man, you know, like, I feel like lately you've been working like 90 hours a week. Why? Like, what's the aim there? What's your goal? And if your goal is like, because I need more money, they might be like, dude, how's that idolatry thing going? Are you okay? Right? You know what I mean? If we're being real with one another, God might use one another to kind of point those things out in our lives. But the reality is, man, this is not an easy message that we can just tie a bow on and be like, well, here it is, black and white. This is, no. It's between you and the Lord of what that looks like. But I think it's an important question to ask is, man, what are we sacrificing our money, our time, and our energy on? Because I think those things can quickly become an idol. And I think plenty of people struggle with this. Many parents, you guys, make children an idol, don't they? And if you, you're here and you have had kids, man, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard not to. They're like, I've got to take them to 70 million different things. They've got to be at every sport known to man, and they've got to do everything that there is. Why? Because I need a well-rounded kid. Can I just say something? If God's not in that equation, it's probably an idol. However, is it wrong for your kid to be in two sports and, a, and play, a, play an instrument? No, it's not wrong. Do you get the difference? Do you understand what I'm saying? Only you as a parent can figure out what that is, but if you're not asking God that question, that's a scary place to be too. What about this? This one might step on some toes, and you know I like doing that. Lots of people make their hobbies an idol. I can't go to church because I got to be, uh, you know, out on the lake fishing on Sunday. Really? Do you? Really? What if the fish are in church, dude? You just broke up their church service. Stealing the pastor right off the hook. Wow. <laughs> He's like, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, I can honestly tell you this, and this might sound ridiculous to some of you, of you but it's the truth. I'm a 47-year-old man, and I love video games. I just can get lost in a video game. And the stupider the video game, the more I enjoy it. it I just love them because my ADHD brain, it, it works. I can exist in another world for a little bit that has no bearing on anything in life. It can become an idol for me if I'm not careful. I get to a place where I'm more focused on thinking like, oh man, I wonder if I can get to such and such level or I wonder if I can beat this thing or maybe, maybe I need to like, dude, it's ridiculous. And yes, I thought I would grow out of it at 40. I haven't. Maybe 50. It's right around the corner. Can I say another idol that I've had for many years that, that is a hobby? I play the drums. That's my drum kit. For many years, that was idol for me. I focused all my energy. I spent all my money. I ended up with a stomach ulcer in my junior year of high school because I was in a country band that made $300 a week. I was in marching band. I was in jazz band. I was in concert band. I played um, with another band that was a rock band that I would play whenever I could squeeze it in in between gigs, and I was still trying to maintain a B average. And so I had a stomach ulcer. Oh, by the way, I was also in the high school play because I needed to be well-rounded. And that was all before Jesus. Do you get my point, you guys? Yeah. It was an idol. Now, here's the thing. Tons of adults, you know what else they like to make an idol out of? Their jobs. Come on, y'all. You know it's true. First off, the money it brings helps to buy more toys. And again, nothing wrong with toys. 
I, you know what the best toys are? Ones that I don't own, but I get to go and hang out with my friends and enjoy, you know? The best way to have a boat is to have a friend that has a boat, right? But you know what else? A lot of us here in America, and, and I'm speaking as a person that was in the military, I loved making rank. Why? Because it gave me a little bit more prestige. Sometimes it gave me a little bit more power. It might have gave me, obviously, a little bit more finance so that I could go and spend it on things that I wanted to do. The fact is, you guys, these are just some examples of, I think, how we see idols growing up in our lives sometimes. And the fact is, the craziest part is, the world actually views many of these idols, you guys, as noble and worthy of our time, don't they? If you're succeeding and excelling at your job at the expense of your family, most people in your, in your job, maybe not so much nowadays, but at least back when I first joined the military, it was like, well, you're married to the military, you do that. And they didn't care about your family, but man, if you were doing a good job, they were going to give you the accolades and they were going to give you all the stuff that came along with doing such a great job. And it was almost like, yeah, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And so sometimes we're not just sacrificing our time, our energy, and our money. We're actually sacrificing family members and we're sacrificing our kids' lives and we're sacrificing a lot more on the sacrificial altar than we care to admit. And yet the world would say, that's noble, keep going. When I played the drums in high school, man, It was the one thing I was good at. I got nothing but praise from my family because I practiced more than everybody else and I made first snare way younger than anybody ever had and I did all these things that no one had done and I was making good money at 15 years old and doing all this stuff. And so, yeah, there was a ton of reasons to keep doing it except for the fact that when I got saved, suddenly it started taking the proper place where it should have been to begin with. And you know what happened? My family actually got mad about it because they're like, well, what? Aren't you going to do this? And I thought your big plan was to do, make it big in a band and do all these things. And my, my priorities started to shift. Why? Because I think God gets a hold of our priorities if we let him. Yeah. You guys, having your children in every sport, every activity, every opportunity makes you a fantastic parent, doesn't it? According to the world, it does. But the Bible tells us clearly, listen, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And so my question for you, parents, my question for you, uh, guy or girl that's working your job so hard, which one's more important to your kids? Being well-rounded and having access to all these things or maybe having the things that you didn't have when you were growing up or a relationship with Christ and a family that actually says, man, this is our priority. We're going to press into the family of God and get to know more of who God is and more of the family that God's made us a part of for this season mm-hmm. in the church body we're in. I, I can tell you, I think eternally, the value is heavily weighted towards getting to know God more and for your kids to see that more than it is for them to be involved in every final thing and for you to work 70 or 80 hours a week when you could actually just work 40. And I need you to hear this. There's zero condemnation coming from me because I struggle with this stuff in ministry the same way y'all do. I can make ministry an idol. It's easy to put in 70 or 80 hours and have a real justification for it to the detriment of my wife. And we're empty nesters now, so I don't have any, necessarily have any kids to worry about. But listen, there's still responsibilities that we have that are way more important than the things that we're chasing. Amen?
So, man, I beat that horse to death. Here's the deal. Let's keep the context here. He's saying, man, don't make these carved images. Don't make any likeness of anything that is created. And so what he's saying is, man, worship me, the eternal God. See that as the most important thing. Worship me. Get to know me. Understand me as much as you can. And then God goes on and he says this, I'm a jealous God. That doesn't mean that he's jealous like, I can't believe you're hanging out with that guy. Why don't you come back to me? No, he's not. We're not talking about that. Jealous here means this, that he wants all of us. He doesn't want to share time. He doesn't want like all of you, 98%, but that 2% doing that other thing. That No, he wants all of you. 100% of you, he wants. That's what he's saying. He's, giving you, he's given us 100% of himself, hasn't he? So that's what he expects back from us. Is He's like, man, you're mine and I'm yours. That's what he means by that. And then he gets into this weird kind of thing that a lot of people have misunderstood. He says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You guys, God says that he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children for generations. And I need you guys to hear this. Maybe you've heard this before. A lot of churches, a lot of like groups, specifically health and wealth gospel kind of folks, they like to use this particular section of scripture to get to this idea of generational curses and generational blessings. You guys ever hear of that? Yeah. So here's the deal. The key to this whole section is found at the very end of verse five. Who does he do that to? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations? Those who hate him. He says, of those who hate me. We need to keep the context of the whole of scripture, you guys. Remember, this is not just a little vacuum in and of itself. So when we read something that we're like, what does that mean, God? How do we get to that point? Like, what's, what do you mean by that? Keep in mind, you guys, we've got 66 books here. We've got to take all of scripture and look at it. Does God have grandchildren? No. no. God doesn't have grandchildren. I don't care how awesome you are as parents. Your kids are not coming to heaven because you're so good. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care if your grandpa was a mass murderer and died in the death in the electric chair. That has nothing, no bearing on you and your walk with the Lord. That iniquity is not necessarily visited upon you. Does that make sense? You're not guaranteed to be a serial killer because your dad was. That's not, what God, that's not what's being said here. And we need to get our head around that because sometimes people will be like, well, I'm generationally blessed. What does that mean? <laughs> We're all generationally blessed. Do you know how? Because Jesus stuck it out and let me be born. That's a blessing. Yeah. Right? That's a blessing. He, he allowed me the time to get to know that I could know him. Mm. That's a blessing. And by the way, if we're going to take the scripture and twist it into that mode, do you understand that I should be generationally cursed? Because I was not raised in a Christian home. Mm. But I'm not generationally cursed. I'm saved. I chose that. And praise God, my mom and dad have come to the Lord too, and so did my grandparents. That's awesome. And God did it a little backwards. <laughs> but that's awesome. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, we need to get our heads around this. God doesn't have grandchildren. For each person, we are each responsible for what our lives look like and what decisions we make about who Jesus really is in our lives. And if we're going to follow him and believe that he actually did what he said he did or whether we're not. And that has nothing to do with how we were raised necessarily. But it is also true. And by the way, this goes both ways. If a person follows God their whole lives and their children don't choose to follow God, that's their choice. And it really is nothing to necessarily do with the parent, right? It's their choice, you guys. So how does it all work? Well, what's he saying? Listen, remember, what God is trying to make clear here is that there's not supposed to be idols in your life. And so I need us to hear this. If you as a parent make your kids an idol and make them the most important person in your life, even more important than God, can I tell you something? Your kids are watching that. Not only are they watching that, they're experiencing that, aren't they? They're like, oh man, I, I, the, word, the universe revolves around me. I am everything in this world. You're setting your child up to have a really hard road to hoe, possibly. By living that way as a Christian, because you're like, dude, no, you are not the most, God is the most important. So yeah, we have a real risk as parents sometimes of failing our children in that way because we create a space for them where they think they are the center of the universe. And I think we, we're kind of seeing that in the last couple generations, aren't we? The results of that type of thinking, the results of raising your children in a certain way, is there a curse there? Well, we're heading down a hill and it's not very good, is it? Thank God he's so gracious. He's rescuing people up out of that all the time. So it is still each individual's choice, but you can either set your child up for failure or success. That's what I think he's getting at. If you're going to put idols in front of, of that, then your kids are going to see that. And not only are your kids going to see that, but if you're living that way, your friends' kids see that. And your other people that you know that are a little younger than you, maybe a generation behind you, they're watching you too, Christian. What are you putting before God? They see it. You are hosing the next generation, possibly. Now, don't get too big for your britches. None of us are that powerful. God is way bigger than our mistakes. God works all things together for good, even our screw-ups. Thank you, Jesus, that that's the truth. But man, I don't want to just knowingly walk in mistakes. Do you? Right? I want to seek the Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul and say, Lord, please change these things in me. Like, make my life a cleaner and clearer image of you in every possible way because I cannot do this without you. Listen, what we do has a major effect on those that we're around. Even people that are older than us, listen, if they're not believers, they're watching you, I promise. If God is low on your priority list, you're not showing them anything good. You're not helping them come to a place where they realize, man, there's something more here. And remember, God said he's going to visit that iniquity on those who hate him. Can I just say this? If someone is an atheist and walks as an atheist, which by the way, um, I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name. The lady that got prayer taken out of school. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that lady, <laughs> she's a staunch atheist, right? That's, that was her jam. That was her thing. Do you know what her son does? He's a pastor. 
So I need you to hear this. She hated God. Every person has a choice, but was that guy set up for success as a kid? Heck no. Heck no. It's by God's grace that he came to that place, right? The same way it is for all of us. So you get what he's saying here? This is what God's saying. Like, man, if you're going to put a ton of idols up and and put a ton of other gods before me and do all this, man, you're hosing people. And if you actually hate me that much, can I just say, like, listen, you want to talk about a generational curse? Put your oldest child into the hands of Moloch and watch him be burned alive. That's a curse. And oh, by the way, if you're another kid and you're like, whoo, glad I missed it. Well, aren't you afraid of your parents now, man? You're not going to trust much of them. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Man, there's a lot of ways that this makes a lot of sense without it getting into some weird thing that it is not. Here's the deal. We all really, I think, have to take these commandments and examine our own lives. We walk in God's grace because of Christ. We walk in his mercy, you guys. We need to hear this. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. Even, yeah, we exist and live under God's grace, but these commandments, you guys, can I just say this? God didn't give them just to make our lives hard. No, he gave them because he's like, this is the best life. Human, you want to live the best life you can? Follow me. Be obedient to me. Seek my way above all ways. Like, do that, and you're going to see that it's the best way. And you're never going to do it perfectly. That's where God's grace comes in. But if that's the aim of your life, can I just say, man, I I can tell you this, from where I started when I was 16 till now at 47, man, I'm so thankful that God has taught me obedience in areas. And gosh, there's a thousand areas left that I'm still struggling through and learning and growing. And there will be until the day I die. But man, I want to be on that journey for the rest of my life. I don't want to stop and be like, ah, forget it. No, man. Right? And so when I read these two things, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to say, God, Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Am I putting little gods above you on my heart? Do I have idols? Is my job an idol? And listen, pastors need to ask that as much, sometimes even more than other people. It's for all of us, man. I'm not up here preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. What about our hobbies? What about our kids? What about fill in the blank with whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart? What is true in your life, you guys? I think it's a question that is so often something that is we're a little bit afraid to do, but I love it, man, David, when he said, man, search my heart, oh God. Show me if there be any wicked way in me. I think that is a, a, a fruitful exercise every day if you can, if you can stand it. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll search and I'll tell you. <laughs> Right? Sometimes you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to hear it. I think we should be ready to hear it. Because again, it, it's God saying, man, I, I want to grow you and teach you. I want, to, I want to knock off some rough edges, make you a cleaner and clearer image of me. Amen? So, as always, I went a little long. Let's take just two, three minutes and ask God to examine our hearts. And listen, Can I just encourage you guys, and maybe I'm talking to just me, don't get to a place where you're starting to justify it. But God, you know I got to do this job, and I get that. (laughs) If God speaks to you, hear it. 
Just hear it. And also, by the way, he loves you. And he's gracious. And so he's never going to come and drop a big old hammer on your head. He is going to come and say, can we work on this? Can we find some balance here? Can we, can we like, can you trust me enough to like, let me work this out of you? Amen. God, you know what you pointed out to each one of us tonight. And Lord, if we haven't heard from you yet tonight, Lord, if there just wasn't enough time to settle our hearts enough to hear from you, God, I pray we wouldn't be people like James talks about that just walks away from the mirror and forgets what we look like. Lord, that we would stay there, staring at the mirror, waiting for you to reply. And God, if that takes even the rest of this week, God, I pray, Father, that we would be people that want to know what's on your heart for us. So God, have your way in us, I pray. Father, Lord, help us to be people that are running hard after you. And man, God, I do thank you for all the, just the joy and the, and, the, and the stuff, Lord, that you do allow us to have here on this earth. Lord, it's enjoyable, God. It's, we're thankful, Father, for the many blessings you pour out on us. And God, I pray, Father, that you wouldn't, God, that we would just praise you for those things and, and enjoy them for all, they, all they're worth here. But God, help them to all stay where they're proper, in their proper place, God, that they would never be the end all thing. Lord God, no, you are the end all. God, you are the one that we're gonna spend eternity with, Lord God, long after our house and our cars and our stuff and our jobs and everything has long gone away. God, you are gonna be the one that we get to praise that we get to hang out with. So Lord, help us, guide us. Lord, for every believer here tonight, God, I pray, Lord, that we would shine you out into this world around us. Lord, that we would wake up, as Ephesians 5.14, Lord, says to wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, Lord, that we would, we would do that, Lord, in our own lives, Father, because you've called us out into that world, Lord, to raise the dead out there, God. Lord, to, to bring people to the place where they see, God, that you are life, that you are life eternal, God. So Father, help us. Help us, God. Be with us, Lord. Teach us and grow us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.